Hello and welcome back to Nature's Wonders. I'm your host Will and today we are joined with James who is the new owner of Blue Dog Aquatics and Reptiles. Thank you for joining us today and stay tuned until the end. This podcast is sponsored by Corals Anonymous, Aquachar, and Live Aquaria. Thank you for listening. What's up, James? How are you doing today? Good. How about yourself, bud? I'm doing good. So can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and a little bit about what you do? Well, uh, I am a uh, Army veteran. I spent a good chunk of my life uh, in all corners of the world. And then uh, when that ended, uh, I decided to get into the aquatic, aquatic and reptile business. But for me, you know, it, it wasn't just the business. I mean, I, I've had tanks my whole life and, you know, seeing uh, the different fish and the different reptiles from around the world really sparked an interest for me. And uh, last year during COVID, during the pandemic, you know, everybody's stuck at home and me, you know, I, I was like, well, you know, I'm going to go through and remodel my house. And uh, I had some uh, aquariums with like some freshwater shrimp. And I was like, well, I'm just going to, uh, I'll sell them off because, you know, you don't want those aquariums around when you're doing demolition and it's just unhealthy for the fish. And so I put an ad out that I was selling off all my animals and I had people at the door, you know, the next morning just waiting in line. And I was like, holy crap, I didn't realize that (laughs) this many people were interested in, you know, what I carried in the the quality that I carried. And, um, and so Toward the end of last year, I decided to launch Blue Dog Aquatics, and it was strictly online only uh, because I, I didn't have the, the income or the source to uh, push it to, toward a storefront. And, you know, after I got out of the military, you know, I was driving a semi around and um, I was like, you know what? It, it's, you know, I was, I was never home. I didn't get to see my kids or my girl or and it, it was just not the life that I wanted. And, you know, I actually got sick uh, earlier this year during the summer and uh, I was like, you know what, that's it. And so I'm like, you know, we only live once and we want to uh, live our life to the fullest. And so we included, uh, we launched officially uh, Blue Dog Aquatics and Reptiles. And uh, we just, man, I'll tell you what, the the process of trying to find a building for a storefront is, oh man, I realized how much I don't like realtors. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can't even tell you, I mean, I probably saw 30 to 40 different buildings and, you know, it was a matter of like, okay, this one needs this or this one's six months out. And it was a matter of how fast I wanted it done. And I finally found a building uh, here in Omaha, Ooh. Nebraska that I liked and I pulled the trigger on it and went for it, and uh, here we are, uh, <laughs> right before Christmas Eve, you know, pushing on it and getting it going, and uh, like I said, I've been working there the last, I finally got the okay after all the construction was done, because we had to do a complete remodel, and mm-hmm. uh, w- once the construction was done, it was about three weeks ago, and I've been in there every single day, uh, making sure that we're on track to do our grand opening January 15th. 
2022. That's awesome. I can't wait. I'm super excited for the opening. So were there any like specific moments when you're abroad, um, like any animals that you saw or shops that you visited that really stuck out to you that maybe you're trying to like replicate now in your shop today? <laughs> Honestly, my favorite spot that I went to was in Puerto Rico. Uh, we did some training down there uh, in 2015 and we got to, you know, be in the ocean and uh, be amongst the wildlife. And I mean, you'd see iguanas and lizards just climbing through the trees. And, um, and then like, you know, when we were swimming in the water and, you know, diving, you could see, you know, all the beautiful animals that, you know, people really don't think about. You don't really truly understand how much beauty is under the water. And that's something that I wanted to instill in my aquariums is just bringing that beauty out into the world for everybody to see. And that's why, like, my business is focused on exotic animals and exotic reptiles because I do want to bring that beauty. I mean, as, as you know, um, I deal in uh, chameleons and, you know, it's I, I had wanted a chameleon for so long. You know, pretty much the first time I saw a panther chameleon. I really wanted one. And after that, I was like, yep, going to have them. And um, as everybody knows from Aquashella, everybody's seen the captain. Uh, he was our big blue bar panther chameleon. Um, he actually sold down in Dallas. And uh, Hot Rod will be taking his place. Now, we won't be at the Orlando. Well, I'll be there not as a vendor at or the Orlando show in February, but I will be at the next show as a vendor. We figured with the uh, the store launching, uh, it just it was too much uh, to try and swing both. But we'll still be down there uh, to meet and greet and see everybody. But yeah, I mean, I just I love the unique animals that I've seen around the world, and I think Puerto Rico was definitely one of them. Uh, even you know my time in Afghanistan, that I mean just seeing the random animals around the world, you just truly appreciate that we really don't know what's all out there and all these amazing animals yeah definitely and your chameleons those are absolutely insane and i never really knew like those crazy colors that panther chameleons had before i saw yours in person and it, it's just like they're aliens and oh, then yeah. you you were talking about how much they go for like thousands of dollars that's just a whole section of this hobby that I've never understood until now. Can you tell us a little bit more about your chameleons and like just your the whole thing around your chameleons? So our, <clears throat> I'm sorry, our first chameleon actually came from, uh, from my buddy uh, Damien with 402 Exotics. And that's actually where the captain came from. Um, captain, The captain was a... Uh, a blue bar antelope panther chameleon. And he was one of uh, Damien's breeders. And then I bought him off of him. And uh, the captain became one of my breeders. And the thing that we look for um, is not pulling these animals from the wild. You know, we want to make sure that we're introducing people to captive bred animals. That way we're not depleting the world of its natural animals and its natural resources. Mm -hmm. and Definitely. uh hot rod is uh he's a new and upcoming breeder he's 
still trying to figure out <laughs> what to do, but he's also still young. Um, but see, with, with our chameleons, we actually do a rotation cycle on it. Uh, we have multiple females to mix in different lineages. And then our males, um, typically we have one male at a time. Um, currently, we, we have two of them. We actually have a yellow blue bar that is right at about a year. Um, he was down in Dallas uh, for Aquashella, but he wasn't really popping his uh, colors yet. Uh, most chameleons start popping their colors anywhere from six months to a year. It really depends. Now, Hot Rod's a different story because Hot Rod's actually a red and blue bar antelope panther. And, I mean, he's had colors since he was little. I mean, <laughs> it's just – but, you know, it, it comes down to the designer chameleons. And, and, and that's what people are looking for. And mm – -hmm. You know, I get it. People don't like the females because females, you know, they have that pinkish color or they're a yellow or depending on um, what they are. And here's something that most people don't know. Uh, chameleons get their names from what part of the world they're from. So antelopes come from antelope Madagascar. Uh, Amjas come from Amja Madagascar. Um, and that's where we get these uh designer ones from and and I, i'll tell you what you know if if you were in madagascar and looked at a chameleon it would look nothing like what we have here and that's because through bloodlines and figuring out what's the best genes and what's going to produce the best color you end up where you can go to these shows and ask several thousand dollars on a chameleon because you'll never see another one like it but we went a step ahead and guess what we're bringing in hot rod who made the captain I mean, who honestly, the, the, yes, the captain was an absolutely stunning male uh, panther chameleon, but Hot Rod kind of puts him to shame with his color pattern and his color variation. And I can't wait to see what uh, we have babies that are um, right now they're in st uh, still in eggs. They take about six to nine months to hatch. And so we have some of the captain's eggs and then we're, uh, which should be born we're hoping right around May of uh, next year. And then uh, we have uh, some from our chameleon that we had down in Dallas. His name is Blueberry. And uh, Blueberry was a uh, an antelope panther too. But what people don't know about him was that he was actually a wild caught. And the problem with bringing animals in that are wild caught, and trust me, had I known he was wild caught, I'd have never got him. Um, and... I don't like taking them from the wild. Um, it's just unfair to the animal because you're taking them from miles and miles of area where they can roam and be free and you're trapping them in an enclosure that they have no idea why they can't get out. Um, mm -hmm. So how did you find out that he was a, um, not captive bred? So I found out through the fact that he uh, he actually had some health issues when he came in straight from the wholesaler, which blew my mind. Uh, he had stuck sheds. Uh, he was missing nails, which means that um, and he had a lot of health issues, which, you know, with with chameleons, I tend to I mean, they're big eaters and we we don't want them to. Uh, you know, we, we try to find them homes as quickly as they come in. But I also go through my quarantine process with this. But 
with him, he came in, you could tell right away he had stuck shed, which means that he had probably been in transit and didn't have the proper uh, foggers or misters to help bring up the humidity to allow him to do proper shedding. And the thing with uh, chameleons is they actually have their dry shedders. Um, whereas like a bearded dragon, you know, you soak them or same way, same with a snake, you soak them and then, you know, they'll pull it off. Well, when, when a chameleon sheds, a chameleon looks honestly like a balloon with confetti exploded. I mean, it's, if you Google a chameleon shedding, it's just absolutely crazy because one day you'll come in and they're a little, you know, little white or a little gray. And then the next day they're, they have a whole new color pattern. And that's what blows my mind is that every time these guys shed, they have even the captain, you know, the captain was two and a half years old. And, uh, during the show, uh, in, uh, Chicago, he had just gone through a shed, uh, like probably a couple of weeks before and people didn't even recognize him because his color variation changed. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, with, with chameleons that come in, typically you can tell, um, with, if they have lots of stuck shed or they're missing nails, um, it typically means that they are, uh, they're wild caught. Um, and because they're wild caught, if they're missing nails now, when they're, uh, when they're up in the treetops, they need those nails to hold on to. So when they're sleeping, you know, they don't fall out of the tree. But because Blueberry was missing so many nails and in such poor health, we had to take him to a vet, which I'll tell you what, when he, when it comes to exotic animals and vets, there's not many. Um, but our vet is uh, an amazing guy. Um, and uh, he got Blueberry back up to health. And uh, we were finally able to find him a good, awesome, loving home. And uh, I actually still get pictures from him and his new enclosure and his new family. So that means a really a lot to me. Yeah, that's awesome. So if you guys were to keep Blueberry, would you find any problems with him breeding? And would this like affect your bloodlines? I know you guys are trying to keep everything super pure and perfect. Um, just having hot rod so beautiful. Um, but would this affect any of your breeding and quality of offspring? Uh, and see, that's a tricky question because when it comes to breeding, you want to produce the top, uh, pretty much the top of the food chain or the top bloodlines is what you're wanting to breed because you want the next generation to be that much more impressive when it comes to the new offspring. Now with blueberry, we did, and I mean, I will, uh, I'll get back to you on that because we actually have eggs from blueberry. We mat mated him up with uh, one of our females. Um, so we will see, but typically if you have a wild caught uh, animal, they, they know what they're doing when it comes to the breeding or locking and those genetic traits won't pass on to the offspring because of, it was the conditions at which blueberry was kept is why he was in such poor shape. Hmm, interesting. So like the natural instincts of blueberry wouldn't really be passed on after he was like captive bred and kept. No, uh, it's very hard to transition chameleons from wild caught into captive bred. 
Um, same with snakes, because like, like I said before, they're so used to, you know, miles upon miles of, uh, area that they can roam. Let's, let's take, uh, tigers, for example, mm-hmm. if you take a tiger, you know, put it out in the water, it's born in the wild. It doesn't know the limits of a fence or, uh, dealing with humans or anything like that. It just does what comes natural to it. Whereas if you take a tiger from the wild and put it in a cage, it has no idea why it can't roam, why it can't hunt the way it normally does, and it becomes dependent on animals. Mm-hmm. Now, things that you run into with bringing in wild-caught chameleons or dragons or you know, whatever other type of reptile is you have health issues because they do have, you know, they don't have antibiotics out in the wild where these guys are from. You have uh, the parasites that can be transmitted and then even with these parasites that maybe a chameleon brings in, you don't want that transferring parasites to another chameleon that's been in captivity its whole life and doesn't know anything different. And so, and typically with wild caught animals, um, you're going to get bit. Uh, you know, my chameleons, I've been bit a handful of times. Um, actually I was bit by the captain, uh, and had to get stitches, but so I tell, hurts pretty bad. Oh, it they'll if if they bite down, it's not as bad. But if they bite and rip, that's where it can cause damage. And you know, I tell people these animals they have bad days just like anybody else. You know, mm-hmm. there's and and some people you know they ask me how and and I got this question a lot when at the shows is how do I get my chameleons so tameable where. I can bring them out to shows and walk them around and like the captain, you know, kids could come up and touch him and take pictures with him. And he just didn't care. Mm-hmm. He wasn't like that the whole time. I mean, he's, he came from the spot that hot rod is now hot rod is at the point in his life where he doesn't want to be touched. He doesn't want to be messed with and he's going to bite. And that's part of the process. We actually have Kevlar gloves, um, for biting, but, uh, what we do to make them where they are, there's two type of two types of people when it comes to owning chameleons. And there's the people that they want it as a pretty ornament and that's it. They'll feed it, but they don't want to touch it. They don't want to hold it. And that's fine. That chameleon could care less one way or another. Um, and then there's people that want to hold them and want to walk around with them and do stuff with them. And that's fine too. But if you're going to have a chameleon like that, where you need to, you need to work with that animal a lot, which means pulling it out, you know, holding it, walking around with it. And this isn't just something that you do for five minutes a day. This is something that takes hours upon hours and, every single day on clockwork, you know, that when you reach your hand in there, I mean, the captain, when he was in his enclosure, <laughs> anytime you walk down there, he'd be at the door waiting for you to open the door so he could come out and hang out with you. Mm-hmm. But you have on the other side, you have like hot rod where if I come down, he still tries to hide because he's not at that point yet where he can be touched and he can be messed with this. It takes a lot of preparation and a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
are you the same way about like your snakes and your other reptiles too about making them more friendly towards yourself and others absolutely um a good example of that is uh and actually down in dallas was her first debut was our big coastal carpet python um she was eight foot long (laughs) and when we got her you know she was a rescue she had an attitude like no other she didn't want to be touched she you know they had fed her so much that she was so overweight that you couldn't tell where the end of her neck started and her head began. And so we had to put her on a diet, which doesn't put a snake in a good mood because they're hungry. But you also, people think that you can't, animal or reptiles can't get overweight, but that's not true. They can and very easily. Mm -hmm. Um, The biggest animals I see get overweight are snakes or monitors or tegus or even bearded dragons. Um, they need to be regulated just like us. You know, you don't want to become a big fat blob. Well, you know, you got to regulate, you got to eat healthy, you know, same thing with reptiles. Mm -hmm. But with, uh, our coastal carpet Python, it took us working with her every single day and pulling her out and messing with her and touching her head. And, you know, and there was strong possibilities where you're going to get bit and, you know, snakes are, on the keen side, you know, there's some of them that'll give you a hiss like she does if she's like, okay, that's enough for today. Or there's snakes that, uh, like the rat snake I just sold, um, he was like, nope, not going to give you warning. I'm just going to straight bite you. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to get the, <laughs> you're going to get the point across. But have you been bitten a lot by both those guys? Oh, yeah. I, I honestly, between all my animals, I can't even tell you how many times I've been bit. Um, probably the nastiest one I've ever gotten bitten by was my green tree pythons. And, and that's just because it, and if you guys don't know what their teeth look like, they're gnarly Google green tree python teeth because they're actually hooked backwards and they have several rows and yeah, they're not fun to get bit by, but, oh, but like I was saying before, you know, with work and progress and commitment to these animals, I like my animals before I sell them. Obviously, you know, if an animal is a yearling or something like that, I can work with it to an extent, but I'm not going to break that attitude, especially like green tree pythons. They go through a roller coaster of emotions their entire life. And so it takes consistent work. But, you know, if you have an eight month old rat snake, well, you know, it, it sees you as a bigger prey and it doesn't know that you're not going to hurt it. So it's going to do what comes natural and it's going to try to bite you. Whereas the carpet Python, you know, it took us uh, a few months of working with her day and night. And as everybody saw at Aquashella Dallas, we were walking around with her. Kids were petting her. She could care less. And that's what I like to sell my animals with two people because I, and I know there's a lot of people that are afraid of reptiles and I, I don't want that because you know, I would rather me get bit and you take an animal home that you feel comfortable with versus someone that takes an animal home and it literally sits in the enclosure because you're too scared to mess with it. And I, I don't want that because that's not fair to you and that's not fair to the animal. Mm-hmm. So have you tried breeding any of your snakes like you have your chameleons? So funny you should say that. So we, uh, 
I have a male and female uh, green tree python. Uh, the female I got really just as a showpiece for me. I wanted one my whole life. So about a year ago, I uh, found one uh, that was a blue morph, and uh, which just means that she has blue uh, tints throughout her body. And uh, she was in an enclosure all by herself. We built her a, a custom setup with a water feature and everything. And um, then about, I'd say about four months ago, we had someone that uh, was getting rid of a male green tree python, didn't have time for it, didn't know, was literally too scared to mess with it. And uh, so I took it off his hands and I was like, well, we, we could leave him in his enclosure. And he was in bad shape. You know, he he had skin sagging. Um, you could see his skeleton. Uh, he was extremely malnourished and underweight. And so uh, we put him in with the female because I'm like, well, she's a good eater. So, you know, she'll show him the ropes. And, you know, he, over the course of about three or four months, we got him up to where he was fully healthy and uh Obviously, his first shed that he did with us was a really bad one because it didn't come off as one unit. It came off in pieces. And I kind of figured that because when you have a snake with skin sagging or malnourishment, uh, those scales don't have the proper nutrients. And so they come off much, much rougher. And but so, yeah, we got him uh, up to health and, you know, he was living fine with the female and one day I came home and uh, they had their tails locked. It was a complete accident that I had completely overlooked. And because uh, I was like, you know, there's enough snakes. You know, I can get them. I don't need to breed them. And uh, it was a complete accident. And so we had to go and move them into a smaller enclosure um, with a nest box or a lay bin. Uh, and that's just where she can uh, lay the eggs and. Uh, it's funny because since she's been in the smaller enclosure with the male, um, he kept trying to go into the hole uh, for the lay bin and she kept biting him <laughs> to get him to back off. And now they're both in there together. And I'm like, oh, you guys are idiots. Uh, so she's actually supposed to be laying uh, sometime this week or next week is uh, her projected uh, lay date. So. It'll be exciting to see. It'll be a new venture for me because I've never bred snakes. Um, and not only do I have new snakes on the way, but I have new arboreal snakes on the way, which makes it a little bit more tricky. You know, when you have baby chameleons, um, you have to put them in very small enclosures and um, you have to make sure that they can find their food very well. And uh, But when it comes to green tree pythons not only do you have all the things to worry about of a very small snake but you also have to make sure that they are up off the ground because they're arboreal snakes um mm -hmm. and something that a lot of people don't realize about green tree pythons you know whether you feed them rats or whatever you also do need to uh add in a diet uh, a rotational diet of quail or birds because the birds actually provide a certain nutrients to the snakes that they don't get in captivity. Um, out in the wild, I mean, they'll eat whatever. And these guys, they can go up to a year without eating. And trust me, my female, she's at three months right now without eating. 
Yeah, she uh, went into her breeding cycle and uh, yep, and uh, she'll—I mean, she'll be hungry definitely after she lays the eggs, but it'll be—it'll uh, definitely be something else. So, are you planning on selling these new babies at the shop? They eventually will be. Yes, um, something that something to uh, consider uh, when you are doing. Uh, snakes or chameleons um i don't sell so like chameleons you'll see them in pet stores or big box stores where they're like a month or two old that's too young to be selling a chameleon Mm -hmm. i recommend chameleons and i know it sucks because as they get bigger they need individual space but chameleons value come off of you being able to prove what their lineage is and what they are. And, you know, when you have a baby chameleon, odds are they, they're not going to have the color that the parents do. And so it's going to be really hard for me to look at two chameleons and go, okay, yeah, this is a $2,000 chameleon and that one's a $400 one. No. So mm-hmm. I typically wait four to five months before I will uh, sell off chameleons. Um, just so that I know that they're good eating, they're in good health, and they're good to go. Same thing with uh, baby snakes. You know, they'll the green tree python babies will probably be for sale uh, at about four to five months old. Mm-hmm. So, you breed chameleons, you breed snakes, you breed shrimp. Uh, is there anything else that you breed, or is that it? Um, we actually breed, uh, bearded dragons as well. Um, and then, uh, we breed, well, we were breeding mangrove monitors and, uh, they actually, uh, the male got sold. And so we just have the female right now and the female, you'll actually get to see her. She will be at the show or, uh, at the, the grand opening of my store. Um, the paludarium, I actually picked up a paludarium at Aquashella, Chicago from my friends over at custom cages mm-hmm. and, uh, the mangrove monitor is actually going to be going in there and it, it'll be a perfect habitat for him. That's awesome. So your store is going to be aquatics and reptiles. Is that correct? Yep. Um, we're doing a freshwater, uh, exotic fish and then we're doing, a exotic reptiles as well and i'll tell you what one of the big hurdles i've ran into is just the permitting process on doing it because i'm dealing with exotic animals Mm -hmm. um i have to deal with uh the the department of agriculture and you know game and parks and uh just to make sure i'm in compliance with everybody which i mean is, is fair because all in all everybody wants the same uh you know, goal for these animals, and that's to have the best health for them. Uh, You want to make sure that all these animals are kept the way that they should be in an environment that is like their habitat. And, you know, that's, and I I think that with my store, you know, it's taken me a little bit longer because I want people to be able to come into my store and go, look, look at one of the enclosures and go, okay, so that's exactly what I need for my setup. You know, whether it's comes down to the driftwood or the foggers or the mister or the lighting, you know, it's right there. And I've been talking uh, with uh, Brett Raymer um, about doing a, 
a new marketing tool that will actually have it where people can uh, scan the tank or the enclosure and it gives you a description of what exactly you need 100% for that animal. Because, you know, whether I sell to you or to somebody else, I want to make sure that that animal is going to a good home and to the proper environment. Mm -hmm. So what qualifies your animals as specifically exotic? Is there any like characteristics that it is to be exotic or is there just standard animals? What's like the difference between those? So the difference between standard animals and exotics uh, comes down to, and it gets tricky when it comes down to exotics because most of the time when people think of exotic animals, they think of kangaroos or zebras or tigers and they're right. There is that level of exotic that has those animals. Um, your standard animals would be, you know, frogs or uh, newts or uh, your typical snakes. What brings me into the classification of exotic is animals that are hard to find and you don't see. Uh, and that's where it brings in the the high dollar chameleons or the uh, monitors or uh, even uh, uh, specialty bred bearded dragons. I mean, you know, you can pay $100 for a bearded dragon for a baby. We actually have one at the shop right now that's a zero morph hypomelanistic for, I think she's four or 500. Uh, I'm just stepping it up to a higher level uh, degree of what people are looking for. I've already had, you know, we, we posted on uh, Google that we were going to be opening January 15th and we've been getting calls daily, uh, sometimes multiple times a day, looking for um, people looking for rare stuff that you can't find in your everyday store. And that's what I'm all about. I'm all about finding what people are looking for and bringing them because I, I don't want you going to a store and going, well, I like this animal, but it's not really what I'm looking for. I would rather have this. I would rather you come to my store and go, that's exactly what I want. And that's exactly what I've been looking for. And I'm going to bring that home. Yeah. Because I don't um, want you to regret it. And especially, you know, coming up on uh, Christmas here, here in two days. I actually just did a YouTube video on this that, you know, I reptiles and fish and everything, you know, these aren't like two day, I, I get it. You know, someone opens up the present box and they're like, Oh, so exciting for like a week. And then the hype goes off. No, these are long-term commitment animals. And mm -hmm. so if, if you're going out looking specifically for something, I want something, or I want to, find you what you're looking for so you can have that animal its entire life and not get bored with it after two days mm -hmm. so other exotics that you have are your shrimp yeah and you specialty breed all your shrimp correct yes like what kind of shrimp do you have have you entered them in any like competitions or anything like that we haven't we had actually talked about doing uh a competition at one of the Aquashellas, uh, but or Orlando this year, we actually had some issues in transport and we actually lost quite a few. Um, one of the heaters malfunctioned and it 
yeah, it was just a bad situation. And then, honestly, that was my first Aquashella. And then when we got to Chicago, I was like, well, I could set up. And they're like, well, you should have signed up like three weeks ago. And and I, I was just kind of in a bad space where I couldn't showcase everything I had. And then I didn't know all the rules that you have to have. Uh, it's four or five identical shrimp. And at the time, you know, I hadn't bred exactly that I, you know, I, who has five identical shrimp, but, uh, um, and then Dallas was the first time that we did a double booth and, uh, we brought, I think we had 16 different species that we brought. Um, but we balanced it out where it was half and half, uh, half reptiles, half, uh, freshwater shrimp. Um, uh, but I think, uh, when we come to our next show, we're definitely going to, uh, be entering a competition for them. Um, but I mean, it's crazy. There's, I mean, you're talking about known, I, I think right now the number is like, there are 490 species of shrimp and new ones are being discovered each and every day. And, you know, I deal in Caradinas and, uh, uh, Babaltis and Neo Caradina uh, from your typical cherry shrimp all the way up into your fishbone galaxy, uh, Caradina shrimp. And then you have the even harder ones to care for, which are your, uh, zebra babaltis. Uh, those things, oh my, those ones are temperamental as no other. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, we focus on bringing the highest quality because I, like I said before, I want you to get what you are paying for. Mm-hmm. And so right now I think we have, uh, I think we have 36 different species of shrimp right now. And, uh, I know the store, we're going to keep, uh, a lot of the tanks here at the house to keep breeding, uh, different lines. But I think the shop is set up for like 20 different species. Wow. Um, and we're going to have everything from your basic, you know, sun-kissed orange to your blue dreams, to your green jades, to your uh, pentos or galaxies or uh, your blue bolts. I'll tell you what, blue bolts are one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Would that? Would you say that's your specialty shrimp? Blue bolts? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I work with them a lot to make sure that I get the proper look and the proper color and, you know, and... That's one thing people don't understand is they think that, you know, they're like, well, you have all these shrimp, you know, they should uh, be able to breed exactly what you want. But it takes time because you have to cull, which means removing the shrimp that don't make the cut and they have to go into a different tank. And then it's just like chameleons. You're you're breeding the top lines to bring out that better color where... You'll eventually end up with a, uh, a blue bolt that's a triple S or an extreme blue bolt. And those are the things that people are desiring for. And, you know, I, I don't want to say that, you know, people should, you know, focus on paying for the $3 cherry shrimp. But, you know, I, I had someone come to me and they're like, well, why is an extreme blue bolt so expensive? Well, guess what? It took that person probably six months to a year to get that extreme blue bolt where it is. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, time, energy, food, water changes, you know, all that, that's all equates into 
why these animals have the price tags that they do. And the rare, the shrimp, uh, there's, there was one discovered uh, a couple of years ago. I, it's a, the metallics are a new type of shrimp that I'm not too familiar with, but I'm getting there. And there was one that was discovered. It was a gunmetal metallic shrimp. And it sold for, I think there were, at the time, there were nine of them that were discovered. And they each sold for about 25000 a piece. Ooh, and that's a lot. And well, and the crazy thing is, is that not those shrimp then all to go to the same person. And you need at least five, roughly five to start a colony. Um, I tell people seven to nine because then your odds are better in your favor. But when you have a shrimp that's that rare, I mean, your options are either pay for all nine and pray nothing goes wrong or breed those rare ones into something that's somewhat rare too to create a new line. And that's, I mean, if you look at the shrimp chart, I mean, just on your standard shrimp, that's how a lot of these were created or designed. And they're just bred from, they put a, let's say a blue dream with a, uh, a sun or a, a super yellow. And they're like, okay, let's see what we get when we put these two together. Well, then you end up with uh, green jades or green Riley's or, you know, who knows? I mean, you can have so many different colors pop out from a single clutch. And then once that happens, then you got to bring out, you got to call, I actually have a coal tank that I take all my Neos out and those coals go in that coal tank. And then my Caradinas, those get cold and put into a Caradina tank. And, uh, and it's crazy when you look at a coal tank, you see all the different colorations, but then you see a lot of brown, uh, shrimp and that's, it's called a wild caught shrimp or a dirty shrimp. And that's because there's just, there's no desire for it, but that's what happens when you breed, let's say a, a, a green jade with a blue dream, you're going to end up with some wilds where they're that brown, ugly color. And what you do with those babies is you pull them out and you put them in the coal tank. Um, a lot of people want to go through and they want that Skittle look in, in their tanks and they, which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely not. They want to put the blues and the yellows and the greens and the oranges and the reds and everything pr pretty to get that, that absolute Skittle tank. And I tell people, you know, yeah, it's going to look fine and dandy, but you're going to have to cull that tank like no other. And they're like, well, what happens if they breed? You're going to get, I mean, you might get some cool ones. I mean, who knows? But odds are you're going to get that dirty bloodline and you're going to get that dirty, trashy shrimp that just mm -hmm. looks like crap. Mm -hmm. Have you gotten me, any? I, I take a lot of pride. Say what? Uh, uh, have you gotten any like really strange, cool looking shrimp just from your coal tanks? Actually, yeah, we actually had one uh, that came out and uh, it was actually in my Caradina shrimp tank. And we actually got a uh, crystal white. And now when you think about a crystal white, you think, oh, you know, it must be like the, 
the crystal blacks or the crystal reds where they have, you know, predominant red or predominant black or, and this one is actually really cool. It's, uh, actually it's got white highlights where the red or black would be on a crystal black or a red. And then it's like transparent is the rest of the body. Huh. And so we actually, and they are, apparently I found out that that's an actual breed color. And so we moved them to, uh, a tank of their own and uh currently we have four and so we are uh trying to uh push that even more to get more and more of that color and that bloodline and so we can actually produce our own so that's what you call those guys crystal whites yep huh have you made any like new species that you didn't have to begin with other than that but like pure bloodlines like mixing a crystal red and a crystal black to create something crazy? Uh, honestly, no. Um, that gets into a lot of the genetic lines. And uh, we were going to start doing that uh, this last year, and it's been so crazy. But I think once uh, the predominant amount of shrimp actually go to uh, the store, that'll open up a lot of tanks for us to start doing genetic cross lines um, and seeing exactly what colors we can bring out or what new uh, species we can design. Definitely. So what is the plan for the grand opening of Blue Dog Aquatics and Reptiles? So the grand opening, um, so I'm actually doing, uh, we're doing the grand opening on uh January 15th is the tentative date. Um, and uh, the 14th, we're actually doing a soft opening for friends and family to come out. We're going to do a dinner and show off the building where it's, you know, less crowded. And then uh, the 15th, uh, which is a Saturday, we're doing uh, a big grand opening first thing in the morning. And, you know, uh, we're hoping to have some people there talking from uh, like Seachem and um, I'm hoping uh, Brett Raymer will make the trip, and then I, I believe my buddy Will from Custom Cages is coming down, and um, we're, we're going to be showcasing off a lot of the animals, and uh, yeah, uh, it's it's going to be epic. It's a dream come true. It's definitely a dream I've had for many, many years, and uh, I, I still can't believe, you know, the, the other day they put on my door decal. And, uh, I kind of got a little choked up about it because, you know, for me, I was like, you know, going through the process of, okay, you know, I found a building. Okay. We're building fish racks. Uh, we're building enclosures. We're doing this and that. It really didn't set in for me until that door decal went on that this was my shop, that this dream was happening. This goal was happening. And it was because of all the hard work that I've done over the years and also uh it, it's the the support and help that i've had from close friends and family over the years that this is actually becoming now a reality mm-hmm. that's awesome i can't wait to make it but um thank you so much for joining us today and being the guest on the episode and thank you so much hey thanks much buddy it was great being on here, and uh, I can't wait to see you. Awesome. Well, good luck. All right. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Bye.
Thank you so much to James for coming on today and telling us about his brand new shop. Be sure to check him out on Instagram and YouTube and even go and visit him in person. Stay tuned for our next episode with Studio Aquatica and thank you to our sponsors, Corals Anonymous, Aquachar, and Live Aquaria. Stay tuned with the new project with Live Aquaria.